Hi, I'm Scott. Thanks for listening to Scott G. Gibson Stories podcast. In this episode, I'll be reading from my book, Lucky Buckley, and this is chapter three, The Wheels on the Bus. I woke up in a panic. The early morning sun filtered softly onto my face, and I rocketed out of bed. My alarm must not have worked. I was going to be late for the zoo. Lucky stared at me through sleepy eyes as I raced around my room to get dressed. I thought back to when I'd worn my pyjamas to school after sleeping through my alarm. It was a terrifying sense of deja vu. Once I was dressed, I glanced at the clock, hoping I would have time for breakfast. I did. Plenty of time. It was only five o'clock. I sat on the edge of my bed, my head in my hands, unable to decide if I should go back to sleep or get up and make sure everything was ready. Lucky lifted his head sleepily, licking my hand before dropping it back down onto his front paw. Since collecting him from the pound, Lucky had been a bit less curious around the house, as if he was trying hard not to get into mischief. When we had arrived, he looked out from his cage with large, sad eyes that melted my heart. I had sat for a few minutes on the ground, attempting to cuddle him through excited wiggling and licking my face. After turning off my alarm, I stood up, rubbing my bleary eyes with my hands. My stomach felt like it was filled with gravel, tiredness weighing down my body. I double-checked my clothes to make sure I wasn't wearing anything I shouldn't be, and walked down to the kitchen. Shrek was peering out at me from up the hallway, but he disappeared when he heard the patter of Lucky's paws on the floor. I was glad he no longer followed me around, like he had while Lucky was at the pound. In the kitchen, I made toast so I didn't get messy, and let Lucky out the back for the toilet. It always amazed me how quiet everything was in the morning, before people woke up and polluted the air with noise. Outside, the odd bird greeted the sun with their melodic tune, a chorus of cawing and warbles, screeches and tweets. Lucky wanted to come back in sooner than I had expected. I heard the disturbing sound of vomiting from upstairs. Is that Mum again? I wondered. With each day that Mum showed signs of sickness, I became increasingly worried. Mum and Dad continued to say that nothing was wrong, but nobody could vomit that much over a long period of time and be healthy. Could they? The toilet flushed and I heard the creaking floorboards of somebody walking around. Mum came down the stairs as I finished my last mouthful of toast. Her eyes were rimmed with tiredness, her mouth opened mid-yawn. She stopped when she noticed me drinking the last of my orange juice. "'Bev?' Mum said. "'Why are you awake so early?' "'I woke up before my alarm and thought it was best not to fall asleep again in case I was late,' I explained. "'We've got the zoo trip today, remember? I'll need to be there a little bit earlier than usual.' Plus, Lucky needed the toilet. I bent down to rub his head. He loved being scratched. Every spot was his favourite spot. Don't forget to feed him, Bev, Mum muttered as she made coffees for her and Dad. I heard the toilet flush upstairs and was glad I was in the kitchen. Dad had a unique set of skills that made it possible to burn every single nose hair within a house. It was always more powerful after his morning poo. And the worst part, he was always proud when he came out of the toilet, 
rubbing his belly and sighing, as if he had achieved first prize or something. First prize in a pooty contest, or elected as President Trumpet. My parents were certainly king and queen of the smelly bums, no sniffs and butts about it. Dad would swing the door wide open after his poo, fanning the hideous stench to send it chasing after us. He smiled smugly, satisfied, while we were all gagged and tried not to vomit. It wasn't just when he went for a poo either. One time, a couple of years ago, Dad and I were shopping for groceries. We were in a busy aisle when he asked me to pull his finger. Poor, naive, unsuspecting me complied and grabbed hold. Call me Bumbling Bevan, but I had no idea what to expect. Well, Dad lifted his leg and let out a loud fart that sounded wet, like blowing a raspberry. I groaned in disgust, aware of other shoppers around us as I held my nose. "'What's wrong, Bevan?' Dad said. "'It's just a little brumble,' totally underplaying the foulness of his fart. I learned later in school that brumble was called a portmanteau word, where you join two words to form a new word. Dad's farts were never just a rumble, more of an earth-shaking roar. Dad's brumble made us walk quickly out of that aisle, causing the stench to waft after us. Of course, once the other shoppers caught wind of the fart's roma, they too deserted the aisle for cleaner pastures. I have many memories like that, which make me fear my senses every time Dad went to the toilet. He walked into the kitchen, patting his belly. Morning, Bev. You're up early, he said it like a question, his face scrunching in confusion. He's worried he'll be late for the zoo trip, Mum said, passing Dad his coughing. Looking to move out, Bev. Going to find your new home today, Dad said, laughing into his coffee cup. He smelled his drink before taking a sip. I'm looking for a dad who doesn't stink as much, I quipped, smiling. Perhaps I'll have a skunk to replace you. I enjoyed the banter in my family. Quick thinking was encouraged, and we all knew it was out of love for each other. I mean, dad didn't really want me to move out. Not yet, anyway. Touché, dad said, smiling back at me. And surely I'll also find a dad that's better looking. Like a hippo's bum, I added. Watch it, Bev. Dad glared at me over his coffee cup, but I knew he was trying not to laugh. There was a knock at the front door. I'll get it, I said, standing up. It's probably Wolfing. He said he would make sure I was up and we would walk to school together, as a safeguard kind of thing. Knock, knock, Wolfie said as I opened the door. He was wearing our school uniform and grinning, his front teeth clawing at his bottom lip. Who's there? I responded. Centipede. Wolfie's grin grew bigger. Centipede who? Centipede on the Christmas tree! Wolfie exclaimed. He leaned forward, his hands resting on his knees. Get it? Centipede on the Christmas tree! I joined in laughing. I had to admit, it was funny. We walked into the kitchen. Hi, Mr and Mrs Buckley. My parents waved in response, halfway through eating breakfast. Lucky waddled over for a pat. Wait here and I'll get my bag, I said to Wolfie, jogging out of the kitchen. 
Don't forget your headgear. Mum's voice followed me out. I heard Ben's alarm blaring from his room as I passed by. He was a chronic morning sleeper and always seemed to be deaf to his alarm, even when it wakes up the whole neighbourhood. I knocked loudly on his door as I passed. When I brushed my teeth, enjoying the new toothbrush after my old one fell in the toilet a few weeks ago, I put on my headgear and checked my bag was properly packed. I walked back down the hallway. Ben's alarm was still signalling to aliens in outer space, so I opened his door and turned on the light. His mouth was wide open as he slept on his side, an ocean of drool soaking into his pillow. And I thought I was bad with my headgear. Ben, wake up! I yelled. He groaned and moved slightly, still asleep. Ben! Shrek looked up from his curled position at the end of the bed. Like owner, like cat, I thought. I left him to sleep. He was our parents' problem now. Mom, Dad, Ben's alarm is blaring and he won't wake up. I've tried, I said as I entered the kitchen. He is alive, though, I checked. I'll go, Dad mumbled. He stood up and left to wake up Ben. I walked to the fridge and opened it. Mum, where is my lunchbox? I said. Bottom shelf at the back. You didn't even look, Mum said without looking up from her phone. His eyes are painted on, Mrs B, Wolfie said. I've often wondered that, Wolfie, Mum replied. Come on, Captain, let's go, Wolfie said. Bye, Mrs B. Bye, Mr Buckley. See you, boys. Have a good day. Behave. Love you, Bev. Love you too, Mum. Bye, Dad. I called up the stairs. Dad's reply was muffled by Ben's alarm and the front door closing as we walked out to begin our walk to school. The weather was great outside. A cool breeze swished through the air, gently blowing the wispy white clouds along the sky. The sun shone lazily down. It was going to be a good day at the zoo. I hoped, anyway. Once we were round the corner, I took off my headgear and placed it into the plastic bag I had stored in my backpack. I would not be wearing it today. Wolfie watched curiously, still trying to get used to the contraption. We walked to school, talking about what we would see at the zoo. Mr Goddard was making it into a learning excursion, so we would need to fill out our booklets answered questions about the animals and enclosures. Not that we were complaining, apart from the early morning, of course. Mr Goddard would have easily made it a research task using the internet and books. Instead, we got to visit the zoo. As we walked, my mind relived the time a few months earlier when I had had to run in the rain, holding our assessment, ultimately stumbling and crushing it beneath me. I still wonder how we somehow managed to pass. The air around us was filled with birdsong, magpies warbling, cockatoos screeching, kookaburras laughing. I looked up into a large gum tree and froze. Wolfie continued walking until he noticed I was no longer beside him. He turned around. Bev, why did you stop? What are you looking at? Wolfie said, his face scrunched up. 
Maybe we should go a different way to school, I said, staring into the tree. Wolfie turned to follow my gaze. Why is that? Wolfie asked. Oh! A magpie sat on a branch, its beady black eyes staring suspiciously at us. We'll be right, Bev. I don't think it's magpie breeding season yet, Wolfie said. He didn't sound too sure. I reckon it is, Wolfie. Let's just go a different way. You know what my luck is like. Born on Friday the 13th, I lived a life of terribly bad luck. But you've had pretty normal luck since you found your coin. Plus, school is just up the road. I can see a bus there already. I don't want to be late and spend the day at school. We might have to learn something, Wolfie said. They wouldn't leave without us, Wolfie. We've got plenty of time. Are you sure, Bev? Wolfie focused his gaze on me. If your luck is as bad as you say, then they definitely would leave without us. Wolfie was right. Knowing my luck, we would somehow miss the bus, even though we had plenty of time until we were supposed to leave. My coin is lost somewhere. Magpies were terrifying creatures in Australia, especially in the springtime. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot you lost it. Hmm. I have heard that if you keep your eyes on magpies, they won't swoop you. So all we do is walk past a tree and keep staring at the bird. Simples. Wolfie smiled as if he had cured world hunger. I wasn't so sure, but gave it a try. We began walking slowly, our necks craned upwards. Every time the magpie moved, we flinched wordlessly. Now let's walk backwards, Wolfie said, when we were level with the tree. My neck was incredibly sore from looking up. I rubbed it with my hand, but it didn't help relieve the pain. I almost felt like putting my headgear back on to give the magpie everlasting nightmares. We shuffled backwards, our feet barely leaving the ground, our eyes spotlighted on the magpies, locked together by some invisible magnet. I imagined we must have looked ridiculous if anyone was watching from the safety of their windows, but anything was better than being swooped. As we increased our distance away from the tree, we started to speed up, our feet moving more quickly. Because our focus was on the magpie, we weren't watching where we were going. Wolfie and I had started to angle towards each other, our feet colliding, sending us both falling to the ground. I managed to turn my body so I fell awkwardly onto my side, my view of the magpie disconnected. I struggled to get to my feet, Wolfie scrabbling up beside me. Then I heard it, the flutter of wings and leaves. I began to run, bent forward, hands covering my head, I sensed Wolfie doing the same beside me. Above the noise of my panting breath, I could hear the beating wings grow louder behind us. An immense decision struggled inside my head as I ran. Should I keep running and hope the magpie pulls up short, making me safe from its beak and claws? Or should I turn and face the bird, potentially losing my eyes to a sharp beak, valuing my eyesight over the back of my head? I made the split-second decision to keep running. Faster, Wolfie, it's... I never finished my sentence, 
A sharp pain erupted in the back of my head, an explosion of feathers and noise. I felt my hair pulled as the magpie flew upwards and back to its tree, leaving me to cry out in pain. We continued running, the slapping of our footsteps echoing in the street around us. When we were far enough away from the magpie and its tree, we stopped running, breathing deeply to get our breath back. Well, that was scary, Wolfie gasped between breaths. Lucky we got away unharmed, hey, Bev? He looked over at me. You're kidding, right? I said, exasperated. You didn't hear it get me? Didn't hear me yelling in pain? I touched the back of my head with my fingers, softly running them over the painful area. When I looked at my fingers, there was a spot of blood, making my stomach churn violently. I'm bleeding, Wolfie! I exclaimed, my eyes bulging. Wolfie continued staring, his eyebrows knitted together. Let me have a look, Bev, he said, moving to stand behind me. I felt his fingers parting my hair, pain jolting out from the wound. The bird had got me on the opposite side of my surgery scar, at the top of my head. Hopefully I wouldn't have yet another scar on my head. It's only a tiny scratch, Bev. Nothing too serious. Don't get too cut up about it. The blood seems more than it should be, though. I have heard that head wounds bleed heaps. Plus, if you went to sickbay or whatever, you might miss out on the zoo. You're right, Wolfie. I'll just put up with it, I guess, I said. We continued walking, eyes searching constantly for sentry magpies. I breathed a sigh of relief when I saw a bus parked outside the school, a few kids milling around in groups, some with parents hovering close by. I couldn't see any teachers yet, but figured they'd be preparing the attendance list and grabbing coffee. It seems like all our teachers drank endless amounts of coffee. Wolfie and I milled around, talking to the other kids, chatting excitedly about what we'd see at the zoo. I looked at the bus that would be taking us to the zoo. It looked pretty new, the white paint still gleaming in the sunlight, windows tinted darkly. Along the side of the bus was the name of the company in big, blue, bolded capital letters, Making Tracks Bus Company. The bus driver stood with his arms folded, his mouth tight beneath a salt and pepper moustache. He nodded at parents and students as they arrived, his combed grey hair remaining unnaturally motionless on his head. Here comes Mr Goddard, Wolfie said, pointing towards the main office building. I looked up and saw Mr Goddard carrying a clipboard, a massive backpack, a bottle of water and a first aid kit, which looked like a large fishing tackle box. He stopped, placed the first aid kit on the ground, and peered at us gathered in clumps around the bus. I could see rivulets of sweat dripping down his face, dark sweat patches underneath his armpits. I should probably go and help him, I suppose, I muttered to Wolfie, being school captain and all. Yeah, you could be his personal army to carry everything. He looks like he needs a bit of a pick-me-up, Wolfie said, grinning. If only you could carry some funny jokes around with you, equipped back, starting to walk quickly to where Mr Goddard stood. 
need a hand, sir? I asked when I was close enough to speak without yelling. Yeah, that'd be great, thanks, Bevan. I was just looking for someone to come help me. Could you carry the first aid kit, please? Mr Goddard rearranged the rest of the items and began walking to the bus, not even waiting for me to pick up the box. Rude. I picked up the first aid kit and began walking, following Mr Goddard to the bus. It was heavier than I expected. Luckily, I left my own bag with Wolfie. As I walked, the box swung from side to side, banging my leg painfully. Then, with a loud crack, the catch of the lid caught on my pants, flicked open, and the contents cascaded to the concrete. Bandages, tubes of cream, tweezers, packages of every size, all of it fell to the ground. A gale of laughter drifted towards me from the bus, my full display of bad luck and clumsiness on show to everyone. Mr Goddard stood shaking his head, watching me pick up the bits and pieces and putting them back inside the box. Unsure whether there was a particular order to things, I shoved them in wherever I could fit them. If nobody was going to help, then nobody could complain. When I picked up all the equipment and put them into the box, surrounded by the echoes of laughter, I began walking back to the bus. I held the kit in front of me, careful not to knock the catch again. Mr Goddard was ticking off names as students climbed up the steep stairs into the bus. Mrs Tangaroa, the other teacher of our grade, stood beside him, talking animatedly to Annalise and Lillian. Thanks, Bevan, Mr Goddard said as I arrived. Wolfie had already climbed up into the bus. I hoped he was saving me a seat. Where would you like this? I asked, holding the kid up slightly higher. Oh, just leave it on the front seat and I'll deal with it, Mr Goddard said, not glancing up as he checked off more names. Parents waved at the bus, their children having already climbed inside. I checked the footpath for my bag. It was nowhere in sight. Hopefully Wolfie had taken it in with him. The engine rumbled to life as I joined the end of the line, waiting to board the bus. The sun was warm on my skin. I could feel the cool air from inside the bus wash over me as I moved nearer to the door. To my relief, my magpie injury was better, with only a light bit of scabby crust. The bus driver smiled down at me as I climbed the stairs, heaving the first aid kit in front of me. Once I was inside, my eyes searched eagerly for Wolfie, and, hopefully, my bag. He was sitting about halfway down the aisle, waving excitedly at me. A wide grin chiselled onto his face. After depositing the first aid kit on the seat at the front, I moved quickly down, glad the other students had taken their seats, leaving the aisle free. Oliver sat behind Wolfie, sniggering. That was a spectacular drop, Bev, Wolfie said as I approached. I hope you don't do that in our upcoming cricket games. Did you get my bag, Wolfie? I asked, ignoring his comment. I looked around him on the seat, heart pounding, worried my bag was somehow still outside. I couldn't see it anywhere. And I needed it for today's trip. It had my lunch and notebooks and my headgear, but I would have been fine to lose that and never have to wear it again. Wolfie grinned at me. The door to the bus closed with a loud hiss, cutting over the hum of the voices around me. 
Wolfie, did you get my bag or not? I asked again, more urgently. I glanced behind me. Mr. Goddard and Mrs. Tangaroa were settling into their seats. The bus driver was focusing on his controls. Your school bag, Bev, Wolfie said, still grinning. I was ready to strangle him. The bus driver was looking at me, standing in the aisle. He turned to where Mr. Goddard and Mrs. Tangaroa were sitting and muttered something. The two teachers swiveled round to look at me. Sit down, please, Bevan. We need to get moving, Mr. Goddard said over the sea of students' heads in the seats between us. Okay, students, seatbelt on, Mr. Goddard yelled, his voice rising above the excited chatter of two classes of students on the bus. I began to explain to Miss Goddard that my bag was left outside when Wolfie began laughing heartily in his seat next to the window. Gotcha, Bev, he said between gasps of breath. It's in the locker up there. He pointed to the row of shelves above the seats. I looked up and, sure enough, there was my bag. I could have strangled Wolfie. The bus vibrated beneath my feet and... As it stumbled forward and out onto the road, I was sent tumbling into my chair beside Wolfie. Oliver guffawed behind us. Oh, bad luck, Bevan, Oliver called out. Oliver had never been nice to me. Even though we played on the same cricket team, he always did his best to mock me. Granted, my bad luck made it easier for him. I hope you didn't wear your pyjamas today, Bevan, Oliver said laughing with his friend Stephen and looking around for attention. I turned around in my seat. That used to be funny, Oliver. How about you put it to bed now? Wolfie laughed beside me. Good one, Bev, he said, holding out his hand for a high five. I was about to slap my hand against his when Mr. Goddard's voice boomed from the loudspeaker. Seatbelts must be on, thanks, students. Bevan Buckley... That includes you. I turned back to the front, Oliver's laughter following my eyes to Mr. Goddard, whose own eyes were fixed in a dangerous glare. I buckled my seatbelt, and he returned to his conversation with Mrs. Tangaroa. Hey, Bev, Wolfie said. You should have been the first with your seatbelt on, what with your last name being Buckley and all. Ha, ha, I laughed sarcastically. I thought it was funny, Wolfie shrugged. Here's one for you then. What do you get if you run in front of a car? Tired. He began laughing and I joined in. Wolfie glanced towards the back of the bus in the direction of Annalise and Lillian, who were sitting, whispering as they looked at us, smiling mischievously. And if you run behind it, you get exhausted, I said, continuing the joke and forcing Wolfie to face me again. We laughed harder getting yet another glare from Mr. Goddard. Around us was a general hubbub of students travelling on the bus. The vibration from the engines echoed through my body, humming loudly as the driver began to pull out from the curb, accelerating, making the engines work hard to move forward. The musty odour of someone's feet poked its fingers up my nose, churning angrily in my stomach. It was like a mix of mouldy cheese and the black gunk that builds up beneath my toenails. Let me say, it certainly wasn't pleasant. Over the sound of twenty conversations, I could hear somebody at the back of the bus open a can of soft drink. 
followed closely by the sound of crinkling lolly wrappers and chip packets. It was hard to hear over the chatter, punctuated by bursts of laughter, and I wondered whether we were actually allowed to eat and drink on the bus, or whether I was the only one who could read the sign. Perhaps it was only visible to me. Regardless, I didn't have any snacks to enjoy. The sun shone brightly through the windows, washing hotly over my body. I looked out at the rows of houses passing by our window, squinting in the glare. Oi, Wolfie, can you shut the curtains? I said. What's the magic word, Bev? Wolfie replied. With the sun behind him, his face was a dark shadow. Abracadabra? I suggested. Wolfie began laughing. Just then, the bus turned a corner, making us sway into each other with a tilt, and the sun shifted its position. On the bus around us, there was a clamour for control over curtain position. Some wanted them closed, others wanted to see out. Oh, but I get car sick, someone said towards the back. Well, you should have sat at the front of the bus, their mate replied. Just open the window. A cacophony of different songs added to the mix from the back of the bus. Students deciding their own music tastes should be thrust upon the rest of us. I heard one country song among a number of popular songs fighting to be heard. Hey, Bev, Wolfie said seriously, dragging my attention back. Is your mum okay? She looked even sicker today. Lines of concern were etched around Wolfie's eyes. Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm still worried. They keep saying mum's okay. I'm not sure I believe it. I thought back to all the times when mum had been in the toilet vomiting recently. It was a lot of times. Our bus was now on the highway, and I stared past Wolfie, watching the cars overtake our slow bus, which grunted with the effort. Well, I hope it's an easy fix, whatever it is. My mum would love to help out if your parents needed it. Cheers, Wolfie. I felt a little better having shared my concern with Wolfie, and took a deep breath filling my whole chest with air-conditioned air and the stench of stinky feet. Suddenly, a loud popping noise sounded beside my head. Quick as a flash, I turned to see Oliver's head poking through the gap between the chairs, smiling like Donkey from Shrek. Beside him, Stephen echoed him, with others around them joining in until the bus was filled with a sound of popping. "'Okay, you can stop now,' I said to Oliver." Turning back to the front, the bus driver glared back at us in the mirror. I saw him turn to Mr. Goddard and mutter something to him, something which made him join in the glaring session. Students, please keep the noise down, Mr. Goddard announced until a loudspeaker. A few of the popping sounds stopped, but there were the odd assortment of those who continued. Mr. Goddard leaned towards a bus driver, who tilted his head to listen. He nodded, then began fumbling in a plastic bag beside his seat. I could see him glance down, one hand on the wheel, before bringing out a DVD case and glancing at it. Obviously realising he had grabbed the wrong movie, he searched again two more times before he found the right one. Meanwhile, the bus swerved slightly, occasionally drifting across the line into the other lane before the driver realised and swerved back to safety. Do you think we're going to survive, Wolfie? I said, 
nudging him in the ribs as he stared out the window. He shook his head clear of his thoughts and turned to me. What do you mean? he asked. I pointed at the driver, who was fumbling with the remote to get the movie to play, having just fed the disc into the player. He looked up at the screen rhythmically, checking to see if the movie was playing. I heard Mr Goddard softly over the chatter, asking if the driver needed help. The driver, who was oblivious to Mr Goddard's sweaty, nervous appearance, continued pressing the remote control's buttons. Even when the bus nearly collided with a car in the next lane, the driver continued trying to work the DVD player. Finally, the movie began playing, music blaring from the speakers as it started up, followed by the eerie quiet as the copyright warnings appeared. The passengers completely silent, wondering what movie was going to be forced upon them. Even the music had stopped playing. The movie was a superhero movie sequel, of which I hadn't even seen the first in the series. While the music and sound effects blared from the speakers above us, the dialogue was almost too quiet to hear, making me lose interest quickly. Around us, the chatter began to increase its volume. Hey, Wolfie, let's play a game. Every time we see a car coming, we need to think of a country that starts with the first letter on their number plate. I had played it with Ben on our family road trips, and it was always fun for at least ten minutes. Okay, but let's make it that the country can only be named once, Wolfie added. I agreed, and we began peering intently at the oncoming cars, trying to make out the faint letters on the plates. The first car that we could see had a number plate beginning with the letter X. Is there even a country beginning with X? I asked knowing full well that Wolfie wouldn't know. He put his finger to his chin, his brow furrowed in deep thought. I don't think so, he said. Mexico has an X in it, though. Thanks, Captain Helpful, but X doesn't mark the spot here. We continued watching, hoping the trickle of cars would speed up. A truck was approaching, and we searched eagerly for the number plate. Another X? How is that even possible? Wolfie exclaimed. The movie paused, the disc skipping. Groans of disappointment sounded around us. The driver began fiddling around with the remote, trying to get it to work again, looking up at the screen as the disc went back to the menu. Out of fear, I couldn't continue watching. With my luck the way it was, we were bound to crash, especially with our driver distracted by the skipping disc. I needed a distraction from the scenes of destruction playing in my mind. I focused on the car approaching, hoping our bus wouldn't swerve into their lane. After giving Wolfie the heads up, I watched for the letter. This time, the letter was a D. Denmark! I blurted out. Oh man, I was going to say that, Wolfie said. Here's another one coming. I looked out the front, noticing the movie was playing again. Another truck was coming towards us. I'm going to win this one. Best out of three. Sure, I agreed. We both laughed when we saw the number plate began with another X. Hey, what happened to your head? Oliver asked, interrupting our game. Is that where they put your brain inside your skull? My fingers ran their way over the scar on the back of my head. Nothing, Oliver. What's wrong with your face? I retorted.
I'm surprised you both came on this trip today, Oliver said. I thought perhaps your parents would be worried the zoo would think you were escaped animals and put you both in the monkey cages. He shrugged to Stephen. I guess we were wrong. Maybe you could act like a passenger and belt up, Wolfie said, turning round on his seat. If we wanted your opinion, we would have flushed a toilet. Oliver sat back and began whispering to Stephen. I gave Wolfie a high five and looked back out the window. Hey, Wolfie, why did the phone need glasses? Because it lost all its contacts. I saw a sign for the zoo approaching, glad we had almost arrived. I heard they have a newly discovered species of bird at the zoo, Wolfie said. It's orange and sounds like a parrot. Really? What is it? I asked. A carrot, Wolfie said as a bus rumbled into the car park. I punched his arm. You don't carrot all. Mr Goddard stood up when the bus stopped, looking up the aisle. Before we go, I want to remind you to be on your best behaviour. You are on show to the community, and I would hate to have any negative comments passed on to the school. Make sure you take all of your belongings and file off the bus in an orderly fashion. He turned and made his way out the open door behind Mrs Tangaroa, letting us follow behind them. And that was the end of chapter three, The Wheels on the Bus. And in the next episode, I'll be reading from chapter four, At the Zoo. Now, fun fact before we go, I know that was a long chapter, so hopefully you're still listening, and thank you if you are. Uh, But the fun fact is that that bus trip was based on a real story Um, a real trip that I had as a teacher, taking a trip out, and the bus driver was putting in the disc, uh, I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy, um, putting in the disc and driving at the same time as trying to fix the skipping disc and looking up at the TV. Can I just say it was very scary and very worrying, Um, even, (laughs) even though the bus driver didn't seem to see a problem with it and didn't want their help. Uh, So anyway, that was based off a a true event. Uh, But that's it for the podcast for today. Thanks very much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Scott G. Gibson Stories podcast. Please subscribe and share with your friends. I'd love to hear your feedback or if you have any other book recommendations to share, please let me know. You can find me on most of the social media platforms. Like Lucky Buckley, you can read my books as an ebook or in paperback format. Just search for Scott G. Gibson and your favourite online retailer. If you're enjoying what you hear, I'd be forever grateful if you left a review on Goodreads or Amazon or wherever you get your books. Reviews, good and bad, are important. Not just for sales and to let others know what you think, but because it lets me know that you've chosen to read my books over every other distraction available. And for that, I thank you more than words can say.